Good afternoon, and thank you for sticking around for one more message. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this conference. Uh, deeply appreciate uh, Dr. Dorn and his ministry in uh, in my life and in um, and and in my family's life, and also appreciate uh, their ministry to our church, particularly in Colorado. Uh, a few years ago, he and Claudia came out and ministered at a very significant time for us, and I'm very grateful for that. And um, and even through the last few uh, uh, last year or so, he has been a tremendous blessing to me personally. I'm very grateful for Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. A number of, of you have spoken in our church, and I'm so grateful that when a Detroit grad comes, they are going to uh, be faithful to the Word of God. They will do a great job of unpacking what relational evangelism looks like on the mission field, because most of you are missionaries that have spoken, and uh, and discipleship and a theology of the local church. And so uh, the impact of Inner City Baptist Church and Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary is something that I have personally benefited from greatly. So very thankful for the ministry here. Thank you for the privilege of opening God's Word. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 5. The book of Romans in chapter 5 will be looking at verses 1 through 11. As you're turning there, what drives a person to take incredible risks? What, what is it that drives a person to jump out of an airplane? And, and when they jump out of the airplane, they actually have a smile on their face. And, and when they land later on, oh dear, we've got some of them in here. And when they land later on, they actually have a smile on their face. They just did something that makes no sense to me at all. They jumped out of a perfectly good airplane with a smile on their face and landed and thought, that was great. What was it about that experience that was great? Well, I'm sure there are things that some of you who have done that can can share. Maybe it's the view, although I could argue there's other ways to get that view. I would say that the, the smile that is on their face has to be at some level directly connected to the experience of when the chute actually opened. I think when a person takes incredible risks, they are looking for that moment where they have pushed it to the very edge of survival, and they found out that the thing that they were hoping that would sustain life actually worked. The chute actually opened. You know, in our lives, there are going to be times when God in His sovereignty is going to push us and is going to push people in your congregation to the very edge of survival. And when they come to that point of the very edge of survival, what will be their focus? What will be the focus that you shepherd them toward that not only enables them to survive spiritually, but there is actually a joy that they experience in the middle of something that should not bring joy. As we look at Romans chapter 5, I believe that here we are going to discover that there are three gazes that we can go to for our own soul, and these are three hope-filled gazes 
that we can serve our sheep by directing their hearts toward. And these, these three gazes are hope-filled gazes. They're not solutions for every practical life problem, but they are three gazes that will nourish our soul, fuel an enduring and thriving, and as we will see, a joy-filled faith. Three times in verses 1 through 11, the ESV translates rejoice or boast, maybe your translation, or exalt. It is a word that means more than just simply to be happy about something. It is a joy that comes from experiencing confidence in something that is truly trustworthy. Would you watch for the word rejoice or boast or exalt as I read verses 1 through 11 for us? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from wrath, from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Would you look at these three hope-filled gazes? Would you look at the Christian life? The Christian life is an earthly journey that is working faith in us. It is working faith in us as a grace from God that will have the proper object of our faith, a faith that will be tested so that it is a pure faith, a faith that is exclusive only in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is a faith that is proving to be an enduring faith, a faith that is true for every circumstance. So as we navigate our lives and we help people navigate this earthly journey, their faith is going to be challenged. And as their faith and as our faith is challenged, how will we respond? You see, we're going to know whether our faith is in the proper object based upon the answer to the question, is the object of my faith able to give me hope in every single circumstance? And if it's not able to give us hope in every single circumstance, then it is not a faith that is worthy of our boast or our exalting or our rejoicing 
or a confidence. Or it may be a blessing. It may be something that we treasure and enjoy, but it should not be the object of our faith. It may be your job. And then all of a sudden you find out there was a meeting that happened Friday night that you knew nothing about and an email comes your way and you find out your position as pastor may not last through the rest of the week. Where's your hope? Where's your confidence? Is it in your position as pastor of a church? Maybe it's in a relationship, this person that is, has been such an important part of your life and something happens and, and God separates you from that person. You can thank God for them, but they also are not able to provide you hope in every circumstance. I experienced that, and I share this only by way of introduction, on September 1st, 2020, when God in His wisdom chose to take my wife, my late wife, Jolene, to be with Him through a tragic traffic accident. And in that moment began a process whereby God was testing my faith. And in the testing of my faith, He was revealing to me, Tori, where is your faith resting? What are you rejoicing, hoping, exalting, boasting in? And anything that is not worthy of our trust will prove to be something that will disappoint. You're going to be pastoring and counseling people that have gone through losses that you can't fix, that are going to go through trials that you don't have a solution for. They're going to be asking questions that you don't have an answer for. They're going to be going through pressures that you don't have the ability to relieve. God in his sovereignty has put that dear uh, member of your church in a position so that he can do a work of faith in them. And it's so important that we pastorally properly direct our sheep in that moment of testing. Three gazes that we can have and that we can direct other people to. I'm going to share what these are very briefly. First of all, God gives us hope in every circumstance because he has made us right with himself. God gives us hope in every circumstance because he enables our faith to persevere in our weakness. God gives us hope in every circumstance because of how he has provided for our hope. These are three things that I'd like for us to look at in the next few moments. First, God gives us hope in every circumstance. We see this here in verse, beginning in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, this is God making us right with himself authoritatively. The, the God of the universe, the creator of every one of us, the, the holy God has justified us as sinners. Our soul knows that we have failed. Your sheep know that, that they have failed. And what do we do with this? Do we deny our failures? No. Do we self-justify? No. Instead, what we are to do is to humbly and honestly recognize our failure and to run to Jesus Christ, God's perfect provision for our righteousness that we could never achieve on our own. And God justifies us. He authoritatively declares us to be righteous because of the exchange of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And if the day ever comes that we fail to revel in the justification that is ours as a gift from God, we need to do some soul searching. 
Because our justification is an, an, an astounding, it is an incredible gift from God that we do not deserve. And it is something that is, that is true in every circumstance. And so when we face something that, that is a seismic shift throughout all of our life, we can go back to one thing I know is true. I'm right with God. And I'm not right with God because of how many times I had devotions last week. I'm right with God because the judge of the universe authoritatively said, Tori, you are righteous in Jesus Christ. We have been justified by faith. So we have been authoritatively been made right with God. This determines our permanent, eternal, unchanging standing so that when we face that transition from our earthly life to our eternal home, and in that moment of incredible uh, faith-stretching difficulty, what do we run back to? We run back to this truth. This truth is, I know that I am justified. The person that you lost and you're scratching your head and you're thinking, where are they now? If they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you can with confidence say in the emergency room when the doctor walks in and said, we tried for 45 minutes to resuscitate her and it did not work. And I can look the doctor in the eye and say, I know where she is because she was justified. This is a beautiful gift from God that fuels a culture of hope, growing hope in our souls as we gaze upon God's authoritative uh, reconciliation with himself. Also, yeah, I want you to notice we're right with God experientially. It's not merely the fact of justification, but it's also something that we are to soulishly experience. It says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I should not have peace with God. I'm a wicked, wretched human being. I'm an utter failure. There is nothing good in me. And yet I can live with an experiential reality that I, as a sinner, have peace with a holy God. I am no longer under condemnation. And that is because of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an important thing for us to rest in the peace that God has for us and to encourage others. When we go through times when our soul begins to spin out of control, it begins to over-ramp, it over-revs, and we begin to go down pathways of asking questions and, and wondering different things, we got to come back to what we know. And one of the things we know is this. If, by faith, We've been justified with God. We also have peace with God, not through our performance, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the peace that passes understanding. It is the peace that fuels our soul in dark nights. It is the peace that populates our counseling. It is the peace that fills our preaching. We need to take people back to hope that is true in every circumstance. God has made us right with himself authoritatively and experientially, but also generously. You see what it says? Verse two, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace 
in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. To understand this, in my mind, I illustrate it with a gated community. You can't just get in. You can't just get through into that neighborhood and go to somebody's house and walk up to them and say, how you doing? Do you mind if I come in? That's why they live in a gated community so that people like me don't get to them. God of the universe, I should have no access to him at all. And yet the Bible tells me that through Jesus Christ, Tori has obtained access by faith into this grace in which I stand. Through Jesus Christ, God has lifted the grace of access so that I can, as Hebrews 4 tells me, I can run with confidence before my high priest. I can't, because of my high priest, I can run with confidence before my God, who is the source for the grace and mercy that I need. God wants us to understand that we have full access to Him. This is a beautiful gift from God. And God wants us to spend time where we are meditating on and we are thanking God for and worshiping Him and praising Him for the fact that we have been made right with our Creator because that reality is the one reality that will last for eternity. There's a second hope-filled gaze that we have, and it's this. God gives us hope in every circumstance. Why? Because He enables our faith to persevere in weakness. Notice, if you would, in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, it's important for us to understand what Paul is saying here. Paul is not saying that we rejoice through our sufferings. All right? This is not just some sort of a silly, giggly way that we make it through suffering. Well, you're going through suffering, just make jokes about it. Just watch enough sitcoms and have something that distracts your mind with silly things and just let your mind and your heart be distracted with fun and funny things and you'll make your way through hard times giggling your way through. That's, that's not at all what he's saying. He's not saying that we rejoice just through our sufferings. No, in our sufferings we grieve, we sorrow, we weep, we hurt, we struggle, we battle, we, we are questioning things. And these are all real realities for a person who is going through loss. And it's important for us to not minimize those. They are very real. And we want to seek to understand how they are experiencing those losses in their life and in that moment. We want to hear from them. But we don't live just a silly life through suffering and trials. And it also doesn't say, I want you to notice, Paul is not saying that we rejoice because of our suffering. Paul is not saying that somehow or another we have a masochistic view of suffering that says, all right, man alive, that was hard, God. Bring it on. How about round two, God? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to ask for round two. 
I'm not looking for suffering. I'm not asking for suffering. I'm not rejoicing because God gave me suffering. That's not what he's saying at all. We don't look for pain. We don't ask for pain. We don't even enjoy pain. What Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying that we rejoice, we, we, we boast, we exalt with confidence in our suffering. In other words, in the midst of our suffering, we are discovering a joy that is a certain, unshakable reality, even when all of our circumstances have shifted on us. And he says we rejoice in our sufferings. How? Can I press pause and say, this goes back to, I think, our understanding of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, where it talks about that when we are experiencing suffering and affliction, it is so that we are able to offer comfort to others who are experiencing suffering and affliction. What are we talking about there? I believe what we're talking about there, what Paul is talking about, not us, what Paul is talking about, is the fact that we are learning to lean in with faith to the gospel grace that God has provided for us in those moments. And as we are learning that, we are learning how to direct other people to the God of all comfort. He says here that we are to rejoice in our suffering now, knowing that suffering produces endurance. When it would seem logical to quit, when it would seem the easiest solution to just give up. There is a grace from God that keeps drawing us back to himself. There is a grace that continues to enable us to persevere. And just so you know, pastors, in your life, when you go through difficulty, you don't just go back to it in the morning during your devotions and that's a check. You may be going back to it literally every five minutes or even more frequently. You are fighting for faith. And that, 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 that member of your church that is going through a very difficult time, they are fighting for faith. And it's important for us to understand that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. James talks about that, that we count it all joy when we are experiencing multifaceted trials because we know this, that these trials are producing endurance in our life. You see, when we experience God's preserving and powerful hand holding us, improving himself to us in difficulties. God is strengthening and God is purifying our faith. And he is making sure that we are exalting only in him in every circumstance. It is in difficulty that we find out who our God really is. And he takes our faith from being a mere profession and he makes it a reality of our soul that is able to go on even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So as we struggle with trials, we rejoice because suffering produces endurance. How does that happen? Well, I believe very basically it happens by taking God at his word. That's how endurance happens. Endurance happens by developing a pattern that says, my mind, 
day in and day out, moment by moment, in the middle of the day when I'm around people and and in the middle of the night when I'm all alone, there's one place that I'm going to go back to all the time, and that is the Word of God. And when I go back to the Word of God, I'm going to take Him at His Word. And this is not a new thing. We see that illustrated in chapter 4, if you go back and look at verse 20. We see this illustrated in Abraham's life in in, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. When Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings, it's because in our sufferings we discover God's preserving and persevering grace to be a real reality for us that we just don't experience when life is going easy. And it is in those times that we go back to his promises and as Abraham, we consider his promises to be true and to be trustworthy. What happens is then there's a character. We see God does it over and over again. He he preserved me this morning. Wow. And he preserved me this afternoon. And he preserved me last night. And I see that God is demonstrating himself to be faithful in my life day in and day out, moment by moment, and there begins to be a pattern, a character that is there, one that I can't take credit for. It is all a demonstration of the grace of God that is present in my life. And when I see that, that character produces hope because suddenly I'm I'm realizing He's present with me and He's not going to abandon me. He is going to be with me today as he was yesterday, and that means he will also be with me tomorrow, and he will be with me in a future that I can yet, I cannot yet imagine. There's a hope because I see God being faithful in the moment, which shows his character, which shows that I can trust him with the future. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The ministry of God's love through the Holy Spirit is a reality in every moment of our life, including the darkest moment. Because God gives us hope in every circumstances, including when he enables us to persevere in dark times. Number three, God gives us hope in every circumstance because of how he has provided for our hope. I I think it's important for us to recognize how God has provided for our hope. Our hope is not something that is cheap. Our hope is not something that is some sort of a knockoff, cheap substitute kind of a hope. It is the only hope that we have and this exclusive singular hope that we have was provided at an incredible cost. And Paul unpacks that cost for us here, beginning in verse 6. First of all, he has given us hope unconditionally. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
He didn't wait for us to become good. He didn't wait for us to become worthy. He didn't wait for us to become deserving. He didn't wait for us to develop a pattern that makes us somebody that by right deserves his grace, which of course we understand is an oxymoron. No, while we were still weak, he looked at us and he set his love on us while we were still a mess. And I've got news for me and I've got news for you. I'm still a mess, and so are you. And let's remember that God does not love us because we're good. God loves us because he is the author of love, and he chose to love us. He has also loved us sacrificially. Do you see that at the end of verse 6? For while we were still weak, at the right time, what happened? Christ died substitutionarily for the ungodly. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's a mind-blowing reality for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. We see that God has provided our hope sacrificially at the greatest cost, at, at the greatest expense that has ever been made in the history of mankind, the death of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, for the ungodly. He's provided hope for us lovingly. He wanted us to know with certainty that he loves us. So he proved, he demonstrated his love. He wants us to know that his love for us is settled. And we see that in verse eight. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we think of our soul's sinful condition and the fact that Jesus Christ died for us, we are to recognize that is a declaration of God's love for us. And we are to rejoice, we are to boast, we are to glory, we are to rest, we are to trust that he loves us unconditionally. He provides hope also for us always. I couldn't think of a better word. I'm not terribly bright. Verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, we see a past, present, and future pattern is shown here. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God is providing hope for us always. He is the God who has provided hope for every circumstance. So how do we respond to this? I think it's important for us to be careful that we personally run to a hope that never changes when we are going through difficulties. It may not be the loss of a spouse or a parent or a child. It may be just simply the pressures of ministry, the disappointment of people. It may be a physical challenge But in every one of those pressures, we must remember that God is doing a work of training us to run to one location that we are truly confident in. And in that location, we can boast, we can exalt, we can rejoice because it is 
Jesus Christ. And he alone is our hope for every circumstance. And that's where we direct people's gaze. They may come to you and say, Pastor, but my spouse is gone. How am I going to do the future? Don't start making it up. Don't start making it up. You don't know. They don't know. Don't go where God doesn't need you to go. But you can go to Romans 5 and let them spend some time savoring on the hope that is theirs for every circumstance. And that gaze will fuel a hope-filled perspective in their soul that will sustain them through every circumstance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is a broken world in which we live and we yearn for Eden. And yet our yearning for Eden should never be an excuse for us to be irresponsible in the trials that you have sovereignly placed us. It is in those trials that you are seeking for us to discover a hope, a hope that is greater than bank accounts, earthly relationships, positions, experiences or possessions, or health. It is the hope that will never change. It's the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ. Help us as pastors to be careful to consistently revel in the hope that is ours in every circumstance. And help us lead those that have been entrusted to our care, that we aren't seeking to draw them to ourselves, our wisdom, our personality, or our creativity. There is one place that they need to go, and that is to the place that provides them hope in every circumstance, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us to enable the members of our church to gaze upon our Savior, and in so doing, fuel hope that enables us to endure all of this for the glory of your name, I pray. Amen.